right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going through the book of Mark at a rapid pace, uh, but not too fast. Amen. And uh, thank the Lord for this morning. And we saw the miracle of the lady with the issue of blood reached out by faith. Many touched him in that crowd, but only one got touched because she had faith. Hope you got faith this morning or tonight and that you're reaching out by faith to the message that God has for you. Mark chapter 5, let's begin with verse 21. I'll stand in honor of the Word of God. We salute the flag, we salute the, we salute the Bible around here, amen. When one gets saved, they're, they're shown the Bible. We don't drag people down the aisles. We don't try to make people get saved. We just, we just ask them to come and see how to be saved. And when they get saved, they, they get saved based on the Word of God, not based on somebody's opinion or emotions. Amen? Thank God for that. But the Bible says, When Jesus was passed over again by, uh, by, by, again by ship unto the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he, he was nigh unto the sea. It gathered him, and he was nigh to see, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little girl, my little daughter, lieth in point of death. And I pray thee, come and lay thy hand upon her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, with much people followed him, and they thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood. So he's interrupted on the way to Jairus' house. Now let's skip on down to verse um, uh, 32. And it says, he looked around and, and uh, to see her that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing, trembling, knowing what had been done, came and fell down before him after she was healed and told him all the truth. And he said, daughter, thy faith has saved thee has made thee whole, go in peace, and be whole in thy plague. And while yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Now she was sick a while ago. And then he stopped to help somebody else. And before he could get to the house, she died. Why troublest thou the master any further? He said, There's no need for you to bring the master to our house. As soon as Jesus heard that word was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to allow follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh through the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult of them wept and wailed greatly. When he had come, into, come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye ado and weep? The damsel's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. And when they had put him, put them out, and when he had put them out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel, the little girl, by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumna, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked she was of age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that some, something should be given her to eat. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the great song service, the good song, the playing of the instruments, all that went in, into worshiping you. 
Lord, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your peace and your strength that you give us during tragedies. Lord, all of us have faced tragedies, some worse than others. Some will face tragedies, things that we never expected would happen, uh, things that uh, would knock us out off our feet physically, emotionally, maybe even spiritually. But God, help us tonight uh, to prepare for those tragedies. And to realize that this world is full of trouble, but you've overcome the world. And so, Lord, give us grace to trust you in the valley. Give us grace to trust you when things are bad in our life. God, just give grace, and we'll thank you and praise you for the power to preach tonight. And Lord, if there's one that's lost or many, I pray tonight would be the night of salvation, where they reach out by faith and trust you as their personal Savior and go to heaven instead of hell. Lord, we're going to thank you and praise you for the grace to preach and the grace to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love that song, It Is Well, and uh, a guy named Horatio Gates Spafford wrote that song. And um, we're going to sing it at the end of the service again. But in 1871, tragedy struck Chicago as a fire ravaged the city, and when it was finally extinguished, the fire had taken over 300 lives and uh, left 100,000 homeless. And a man by the name of Horatio Gates Spafford was one of those who tried to help the people uh, of the city get back on their feet. And he just used that as his mission to help these folks that were burned out. And Spafford, <coughs> a, Chicago, a Chicago lawyer, get that now, who had invested heavily in the downtown area, lost everything as a result of that fire. And more tragically, Spafford had also suffered the loss of his only son just a year earlier. And still for two years, Spafford assisted the homeless, the impoverished, the grief-stricken, and other ruined by the fire. And after about two years of such work, Spafford and his family decided to take a vacation. And they were to go to England to join Moody and Sankey on their evangelistic crusade. And then traveling in Europe, Horatio Spafford was delayed by some business, and, um, but sent his family on ahead, on a ship, of course. They didn't fly back then much. And he would catch up to them on the other side of the Atlantic. Their ship, the Villa de Harvard, never made it. Off Newfoundland, it collided with an English ship the loach urn, and sank within 20 minutes. <clears throat> and through Horatio's <clears throat> wife, Anna, he was able to cling to a, a piece of floating wreckage, one of, one of only 47 survivors among hundreds that perished. Their four daughters, Maggie, Tania, Tania Annie, and Bessie, were killed. Horatio received a horrible telegram from his wife, only two words long, saved alone. And Spafford boarded the next ship that was available, and uh, near the place where the ship went down, grieving with all his heart for his four little girls, he went back to his cabin, and he penned these precious words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrow like billows rose, Put yourself in his place for a second. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. 
with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And then listen to this last verse. Oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be in thee sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. And the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And of course, there's more to that story. But thank God that he realized that the only hope he had in this hopeless situation of grief was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's written this song and thousands and thousands and maybe millions and millions of people have, have sung it unless they went to the new songs and threw away their hymn book. Folks, the Bible says in John 16, in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I want to preach just a few minutes on how to handle the tragedies of life. Many of you have been through tragedies. Many of you have lost children unexpectedly. And you know, some of the greatest tragedies that I've ever faced in the ministry, Brother Steve, is when somebody takes their own life. There's not much to say. I never forget I preached a funeral of a, a superstar um, defensive lineman for the Dalton High, and his mother was so close to him that two weeks later I preached his mother's funeral after she shot herself, because she could not handle her son uh, being killed. I think, I, I think uh, he uh, killed himself. Folks, it's a tragedy. Some things you can't handle. You know, there's an old grandmother terminology that God will not put on you more than you can handle. That's false. That's nowhere in the Bible. Folks, there's a lot of things you can't handle. But there's nothing that God cannot handle. And Folks, I want to tell you this. I'd get saved to go to heaven and miss hell any day. That's probably why I got saved when I was 11 and a half years of age. Son of a drunk, didn't have anything to offer God, but he saved me. Came to me when I wasn't even looking for him. But I want to tell you something, friend. I'd get saved just for the peace, the joy, the purpose, and the grace that God gives you on this earth. There wasn't a hell, which there is, because Jesus preached on it 13 times, and it's mentioned 87 times in the Bible. you got a problem if you say there is no hell because you don't believe there is a Bible. There is a Bible, and it's inspired and it's preserved as we taught in Sunday school this, or learned in Sunday school this morning. But how to handle the tragedies of what life? First of all, I want you to see a pitiful dialogue. In verse 21, this, uh, this um, prestigious, prominent, privileged, prosperous man in the hierarchy of religion came to Jesus. Look at verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again to the ship and to the other side, much people gathered to him, and he was nigh unto the ship. Behold, there cometh of the ruler, I mean head honcho of one of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Folks, I want you to see the accomplishments, number one, of this man. He was a hierarchy. He was a prominent. He had a position. He had prestige. 
He had power. He had prosperity. He was a man in the hierarchy of the religion of that day. He was a man that had it all, but in a moment, that didn't matter. As I said this morning, I don't care how much money you make, how much prestige you got, or how popular you are, there's some things in this life you cannot handle. And there's some things in this life you're not ready for. And there's some things in this life that'll blindside you and knock the literal breath out of your life. And that's when you need Jesus. Folks, he was religious, but his religion was powerless to help him in this situation. The Bible says in verse 23, my little daughter. In Luke chapter 8, it said, one and only daughter. She was 12 years old. Now, folks, you that have children, you know how precious they are to you. And Sometimes uh, they're the apple of your eye, and you live to see them when you come home from work or whatever. But I want to tell you something. This man's heart was broken. And this man's heart, and you ought to put yourself in somebody's place, that's called compassion. This man did not know how to handle the situation because his religion was not enough. Just because you join a church don't make you any more a Christian than going into McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Say amen. That wasn't too good illustration. But anyway, you don't just get saved by walking in a church or be religious or be prominent. You get saved when you come to the end of yourself and say, I need to be saved, I'm a sinner, and I'm lost, I need to be found. Number two, I want you to see the attitude of Jairus. In verse 22, it says he fell uh, at his feet. The word Jairus literally means he, uh, to whom God enlightened. Somewhere, somehow, just like this lady that got healed this morning from the issue of blood, heard about the real Jesus. In all his religion, is being a Jewish official, he reverently and prayerfully and passionately sought the Lord. He fell at Jesus' feet. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. That's the key to finding God, is you find that you need God more than you need prominence, more than you need money. God help us right there. More than we need uh, professional success. But we need God. I mean, the house, ought, it's a great crowd tonight, but the house ought to be packed with people that need God. People ought to come back on Wednesday night because they need God. People ought to come to Sunday school because they need God. I'm telling you, friend, one day, sitting in the emergency room or sitting in the funeral home, you're going to realize afresh and anew that you really need God and there is nobody like Him during the times of tragedy. How I many has found that to be true? And so the secretness is brokenness. If you want to have revival, that's God's presence in your life, you need to be broken. Turn to James chapter 4, please. One of my favorite chapters in the Word of God on prayer and on brokenness and finding God. James chapter 4. And I want you to look at um, uh, just a few of the verses in James chapter 4. Amen? Uh, I look at, look at uh, verse 1 and 2 first, okay? James 4, 1 and 2. I'll be there in just a minute. I ought to always mark my Bible because I have a hard time finding verses when I get nervous. Amen. But James chapter 4 verse 1 says, From hence cometh wars and fighting among you. Come they hence even as lust, lust that war in your members. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot attain. You fight and war yet you have not because you ask not. I like that verse, friend. You know, the reason that we don't pray, the reason we don't pray is we don't believe we need to pray. 
We believe we can work it out. We believe we can handle it. We believe we can fight it out. We believe we can figure it out. We believe we can finagle it out. We believe we can fill it out. Amen? But I want to tell you something, friends. There's sometimes you'll find in life you can't handle it without God. And so what's the Bible say? Look at verse uh, 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 6. But the, he giveth more grace, therefore he saith, God resisteth the who? Proud. But giveth grace unto the who? Humble. And it says, draw, listen to this. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the first thing. Resist the devil. That's the second thing. And he will flee from you. See, you, you don't, if you don't submit to God, the devil will have his heyday in your life. He'll drive you to depression. He'll drive you to suicide. He'll drive you to, uh, to uh, throwing the tile in and never coming back in this church again. He'll drive you crazy. Everybody's been half crazy before. Yeah, I thought that's what I thought. Amen. I have too. I mean, from, from just pressure, stress. I appreciate what Brother Kozell said in the security meeting about the stress of a police officer. We ought, to, we ought to pray for them more. They have body cams and they're afraid they're going to mess up. All the time, they're afraid they're going to mess up. That's a lot of stress. And you know, there's a lot of policemen that commit suicide. There's a lot of jail keepers that commit suicide, Brother Larry. Not just the prisoners, because of the stress. Folks, stress will, will kill you. But look at verse 10, 10, 8. It says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Isn't that a great promise? It says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now look at this. Verse, um, verse uh, 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, <clears throat> and he shall lift you up. Not that he'll lift you up in pride, he'll lift you up in encouragement. Now, folks, there's a lot of things we can't handle. <clears throat> and the great leader of the synagogue came to the end of himself and said, Hey, God, I need you. Lord, <clears throat> I can't handle this. And he fell at his feet because this precious little girl, his only child, 12 years old, was dying. And folks, I want you to know that God is able to give us grace and give us strength. And that's why I feel so sorry for people to not say, because you're on your own. You're on your own. <clears throat> You've got to work it out the best way you can. And I'm going to say this, friend. I couldn't work it out if one of my babies got killed. I couldn't work it out if God took one of my babies. Could you? But God can during the tragedies of life. Then I see the acknowledgement of Jairus. Look at verse 23, back in our text, please. <coughs> it says, and he besought him greatly. And he's saying, my little daughter lieth in the point of death, and I pray thee, come and lay thy hand on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. Now, folks, when the man comes to Jesus, he falls down before him. He doesn't come and say, I just want to let you know, Jesus, I'm the head of the synagogue. No, he was a father that was broken hearted he was a father that was pitiful that means he had compassion upon his own daughter put yourself in his place and he makes a petition and what he's saying is I can't handle this but I believe you can amen look at Joshua chapter 5 for just a second Joshua chapter 5 that's ministerially speaking second just a few minutes Joshua ch chapter 5 and I want you to look at um, this exciting episode of, of uh, Joshua, the great uh, general, 
that um, faces the Lord. Joshua chapter 5. I want to show you something significant about his footwear, about his, what he did with his shoes, because this was a very important custom that he was fulfilling. Joshua chapter 5, uh, the walls of Jericho needed to come down, and there was going to be a big battle, praise God. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. Uh, there's always battles. But I want you to look down at verse 13 of Joshua 5, and it says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said to him, Art thou for us or for, a, or for our adversaries? You for us or against us, what he's saying. And he said, Nay, I don't take sides, I am the side. But as a captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Powerful term. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host, I believe it was Jesus Christ, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Holy. And Joshua did so. I want you to notice it said, Loose thy shoes. Didn't say loose thy shoes. It was his one shoe. See, there was a custom, an ancient custom of that day. When you made a covenant between two individuals in which one possessed the power to keep the covenant and the other was the weaker individual and could not keep the covenant, that he took off his shoe. He took off his shoe and he gave it to the one that could. And that was a sign. Same thing happened in Ruth chapter 4. He took off his shoe. Not that it was just holy ground, but what he was saying is, I'm wholly dependent upon you. And I, ca I, can't, I, can't, I can't make it without you, and I can't keep this covenant without you. You're the covenant keeper. I'm the servant. And he bowed down on holy ground, yes. But before the walls of Jericho fell, and before there was great victory supernaturally through Joshua's leadership, he had to come to the end of his self said here my shoe not my shoes my shoe saying I can't but praise God you can there's some here tonight you ought to get tired of fighting your own battles you ought to get tired of trying to make it on your own because I want to tell you something friend there's going to be a time if you haven't already experienced it and some of you have because you've lived a long life in your short life you're going to have some things in your life that you can't handle. There's going to be some things in your life you absolutely cannot handle. And what you need to do is take off your shoe and say, Lord, I want to make a covenant with you. I can't, but you can. And I want to stay in my place and tell you I'm here at the, your feet worshiping you as the captain of the host, as one that's able. And folks, I want to tell you something. That is a great relief. How do you spell relief? It's not Rolade. It's Jesus. Don't make me spell it. But I want to say this, friend. You ought to realize there's a lot of things in your life you can't handle. And I want to tell you something. If your only daughter 12 years old died, you couldn't handle it. Amen. You might think you're tough. You might think you got a good determination. But I want to tell you something, folks. When it came down to it, you need to have a place of total surrender during tragedy. 
Folks, how to handle tragedy? You got to surrender yourself and not trying to handle it. Number one. Number two, I see a painful delay. You know, we're always instant grits, instant potatoes, and we're fast internet. And you know, it's amazing to me that if the internet spins a little bit, that little old clock spins a little bit, you just lose all control and go out to Apple and finance your life out and get another one that's faster. You got to have it now. Praise God, if I Google something, I want it now. I've asked a question. I've seen some of y'all get on your little smartphone. Y'all had the answer before I could even get the answer completed. You've got a fast smartphone. Praise God for you. But I want to tell you something, friend. There's not always a quick, quick solution. We have to wait on God during tragedy. Look at verse 24. It says, and Jesus went with him. Oh, he said, man, this is good. Jesus has come to my house. We're going to solve this problem right now. And then the people followed him. I mean, there was a big crowd. And then a certain woman interrupted him. And she had an issue of blood. And I preached on it this morning. She got gloriously healed and gloriously saved. Not in that order. And I want to tell you something, folks. We see, first of all, in the painful delay, God has not lost interest. In verse 24, it says, And he went with him. And folks, he was still with him. And folks, the Bible says, Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. The Bible says, all you that are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a high priest that can be touched with our infirmities. We just need to come to him in the time, to the throne of, of grace in the time of need. And folks, I don't know if we realize this or not, but I hope this message will help you realize it. Every day of your life, you need God. Every day of your life, you need God. Sometimes you need him more. Sometimes your life just falls apart. Somebody that you had the utmost confidence, and that's why you better not have any Lord except help him, because the little lords will always let you down. They walk off into the sunset with somebody else because they're a little prettier or a little younger. Your son gets hooked on drugs. Gets locked up. Changed the whole name of your, of your lineage. Preacher goes into sin and has to be ushered out of the church. God forbid that happens. But I want to tell you something. When you least expect it, you need to realize the only one that really is totally perfect to help you in the time of need, even though it seems like he's not listening and he's not answering your prayer, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was still interested. But we see the intrusion of this sick lady and their response of faith. And folks, I see this invasion of sorrow because folks, in verse 35, after this great miracle, and Jairus is looking at this and thank God for it, we see that uh, he comes to a place where he cannot solve the problem. But you know what I love about Jairus? He didn't interrupt Jesus while he was healing. He didn't interrupt Jesus while he was saving. And everywhere in the gospel, I look for it. I wanted to see what Jairus would say because I know a lot of us would say, come on, Jesus. I know she's touching your robe, but we'd be pulling his robe. Come on, we got, we got to go. My daughter's sick. My problem's worse than any problem in the world. I've got to have you now. And sometimes we're guilty of using Jesus as emergency rations instead of daily bread, but I'm glad he's there in the emergencies. Amen. I've literally been in places where I dreaded showing up 
because I didn't know how to handle it. And I definitely didn't want the two families that were going through the tragedy to think I could handle it. I never forget the time that I was called to the emergency room. Middle of the night, normal night. Thought it was just an ordinary night to sleep, and they called me in the emergency room, and somebody had shot his wife and killed her with five slugs in her heart and turned the 44 Magnum on his head and killed himself. And I had to go to the emergency room and sit there for the half of the family to arrive, and then when they came, I thought they were going to kill each other. And I had to preach a double funeral right here in this auditorium where it was facing that way. That's when I thought, this is over my head. This is more than I can handle. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. But I'm glad that I served a God that knew exactly what to say and knew exactly what to do. Folks, it's got to be a response of faith when the bottom falls out. He didn't interrupt the Lord's dialogue one time. Look through all the gospel. You'll never see it. You'll never see him say, hey, Lord, could we hurry this up? My daughter's dying. He didn't say one word, but he just simply waited because he had already placed his problem in God's hand and he wasn't going to take it back. How many times we take it back? And he placed the problem in his hand and he kept it there. He said, Lord, please handle this. And then in verse 35, it got worse. Have you ever had a problem get worse? <laughs> Come on, say amen. You're not right with God, it's getting worse. But look at verse 35, it says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, probably servants, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And so the invasion of sorrow took place. Your daughter is dead. Can you imagine how Jairus felt that very moment he heard that? And folks, I'll tell you what, a lot of us would say, God, if you'd only been there, does that sound like Martha and Mary in John chapter 11? My brother would not have died. Jesus said, I know I'm on time. I know what's going to take place. We'll arise again. And folks, the only hope we have is a resurrection. If you really believe that Jesus is alive, some preacher was asked, he said, yes. If not, I don't have any gospel to preach. And our hope is in vain and we are helpless. We're most miserable, the Bible says. I believe he died, he was buried, he rose again. And I believe we will too. And folks, I want to tell you something, friend. Have you ever questioned God's timing? This would have been the perfect opportunity for old Jerry to say, why did we not go straight to my house? But he didn't say that. Not according to any of the gospel. Y'all find it, correct me after the service. Why I looked over that first row. But anyway, it's not there. But I want to tell you something, God's never late. He's not usually early, but he's never late. He's just on time. Then I want you to see, third of all, and lastly, the power of deliverance. Look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, he said unto, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. It always gets down to faith, doesn't it? Believers, does it get down to faith? And sometimes it's easier to believe than other times. Appreciate some of you that's been through some un unreal tragedies in your life. 
still here. I admire that. Every time you come in or you roll in, I think about what you've been through, and it inspires me to be more faithful. Because a lot of people would have quit if they'd been through what you've been through. Losing a daughter in a car accident. Losing a daddy in a tragedy. Losing a mate suddenly that we love. But you're still faithful. And I praise God for you. And folks, I want to tell you this. The only way we can handle it is to realize we can't handle it. Number two is that God is still working no matter when we think he's not working. Amen. He's still working. He's still working on you, by the way. He's still working on me, by the way. I can't believe I've pastored this church almost 41 years. I cannot be that old. When I look at my wife, I know she's not that old. Amen. I'm going to get an egg sandwich tonight. Amen. But anyway. Oh, thank God for his grace to give us patience during tragedies and situations that we want it now. We want the answer now. Yesterday would have been fine, Lord. Don't wait. It's getting worse. But I see this powerful deliverance. Look at verse 37. He suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now listen to this. He wasn't looking for a big crowd. He's looking for a believing crowd. Look at verse 38. And he, he coming to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. I wonder why it always says the ruler of the synagogue. I think it, the Holy Spirit's emphasizing, I don't care what, what position you're in, you still need God because he is the ruler. And it says, and he see at the tool month, and that's, see, Jews were professional mourners. They, they'd get paid to mourn. I mean, they, they, they'd work up a hizzy. I mean, it, it was just unreal. And they started weeping. Well, they knew the person. They just come over and started weeping. And the damsel's not dead but sleeping. Now, she was dead, but God said she's asleep. That's a biblical term for death. And when they laughed him to scorn. Did you see that? These professional religionists, mourning and weeping and paid to do so, started laughing at our Lord. Well, what did he do to them? Struck them dead on the spot. No. It says, and when he had put them all out. <laughs> he taken the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. I want to tell you what he did. <clears throat> there, was an, there was an explanation of faith in verse 36. But folks, there was an exclusion of faith in verse 37 through 40. Jesus put out everyone that didn't believe. Those who lack faith. Unbelief receives nothing from the hand of God. The one thing we need in a prayer meeting is some people that will believe. Not that they can orchestrate some great Rehoboam, Jeroboam, eloquent prayer, but they'll come and believe and broken and desperate for the answer. Verse 35, it says, don't believe what you hear. In verse 36, 30, uh, 38 through 39, don't believe what you know. And then verse 30, it says, don't believe what you see. <laughs> Folks, disbelieve me. By faith, <clears throat> every instinct in our body wants to give up. Uh, it's hopeless is usually our theme after about two weeks of prayer, maybe a month. And boy, if you've been a year without God answering, you're really hopeless. And I understand, and I'm not being critical. That's the way we all are, human nature, and we give up. But folks, I want to tell you something. Leave it there. Get the problem in God's hands and keep it there. 
and he will work. So that's the explanation of faith. Then the exclusion of faith is he kicked them out. The Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, look over there real quick. Mark 11, 24. It says, therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall what? Have them. And see, I see faith. There were some excluded, but there were some that got in on the blessing of faith. Look at verse 40, please. Mark chapter 5, and we'll close. The Bible says, And they laughed him to scorn, but when they had put them out, he taketh the father and the mother, the damsel. Isn't that precious? And them that were with him, he entered in where the damsel was lying, already probably cold from death. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said to him, Talitha kumna, which is to be interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was the age of 12 years old. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. You know, I know she's alive because she started walking. But I know she was a Baptist because she started eating. <laughs> no, she started eating. That's a sign of spiritual life too, man. You ought to walk with the Lord once you get saved. You ought to get baptized after you get saved. You ought to follow the Lord and believers' baptism, but you ought to obey God every day. And you ought to read your Bible and pray. And that's walking with the Lord. And then you ought to have a hunger for the Word of God. You ought to eat what He tells you to eat. I have a problem with people. It's faith that doesn't ever want to come to church. Because I want to tell you something. A Christian has a new appetite. I mean, this is more important than the playoffs. I don't care if you're from Dallas tonight or where whoever's playing. I don't care. I don't care if you're a New Orleans saint. You're a saint, you ought to be in church. Say amen. You're either a saint or you ain't. I'm preaching now. But folks, we ought to have an appetite for the things of God. And then I want you to see the exposition of faith. In verse 42, it says, They were astonished with great astonishment. Anytime in the Bible that the same words mentioned, even in maybe another form of it in the same verse, it's, it's for emphasis. And the word astonishment means throw out of position. It means to be out of one. <laughs> Out of one's mind. You know what this was saying, those disciples, look at it, it blew their mind. And folks, it blow my mind if somebody was dead in this casket down here, or there ain't a casket down here, but there was a casket down here, and all of a sudden that she raised up. Amen? Some of y'all would run out of the church. But I'll tell you what we ought to do. We shouldn't all just jump pews and shout. What we ought to do is hide our face in this carpet and say, Dear God, you're real and you're alive. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. Every time somebody gets saved, there is a resurrection. They pass from death unto life. They're going from hell to heaven. And thank God they received Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. It's a it's flat-out miracle. It's not some religious sign-up club. It's not some kind of a new leaf. It's not some reformation. Folks, it's an exclamation that God overcame death, hell, and the grave every time somebody gets saved. Folks, what we need to do is bring the impossible situations to God. We need to leave them there once we bring them there. Because I'm going to tell you something, a lot of times we try to become God. I'm going to handle this. You didn't move quick enough, God. 
You didn't relieve my heartache quick enough. I'll just, I'll just handle this. Some of you need to bring your soul to Christ tonight. Some of you need to bring your lost loved ones to Christ tonight. You need to put them in the hands of God. Some of you need to bring a situation you've been praying for for years and you're just about tired of praying about it. Come on. And you're about tired of everybody asking why it's not answered. Come on now. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Isn't it awful when people pray and they seek the Lord in God's will and say, well, why hadn't he answered? Well, we don't know. But we need to keep on praying and keep on realizing that God in his time, if it's his will, might just show up and work a miracle. Amen. Folks, listen, you never know how much you need God. But I'll tell you what, you need God. And I hope it don't take a tragedy in your life. You realize it. I hope your mate don't walk out on you. I hope your kids don't go into sin. I hope you don't have an early funeral of someone that you think's too young to die. I hope you just realize the word of God ought to give you faith. And the goodness of God ought to give you faith. But if you do go through the valley, the way to handle that valley is not handle it. It's walk with him. He is the lily of the valley. Thank God he is the bright morning star. Thank God, as that old preacher said, the sun's coming up in the morning. I'll rise to be with him. That Methodist preacher that Brother Randy mentioned, his name was Luther Bridges. He was born in 1884. He was married to Susan B-E-A-T-C-H. Betch. Had three lovely sons that were born out of their union. Pastor Bridges accepted the invitation to minister at a whole big conference in Kentucky in 1910, as he said. And he didn't take his family, he just put them in the care of his father-in-law, the little house in Kentucky. They had two wonderful weeks of great ministry. At the last service, after it closed, he got a telephone call. He couldn't wait to tell his wife of all that happened in this great revival. But it wasn't her voice. That long distant line, he listened quietly. It brought him to his knees. But there was a fire. His father-in-law got out of the house. But his daughter, Brother Bridges' wife, and three sons, died in that blaze. He couldn't speak or eat. He cheerfully one day picked up a pen. He wrote these words. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispered sweet. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. And all life's ebb and flow. In my life was wrecked by sin. All my life was wrecked by sin and strife. Discord filled my heart with pain. I can't imagine the pain. Jesus swept across the broken strings and stirred the slumbering chords again. He got, a, he got to breathing again. Function again. Maybe he preached again. I don't know. He said this, and I love this verse, feasting on the riches of his grace, resting neath his sheltering wings, always looking on his smiling face, 
That is why shout and sing. Now listen, listen very closely. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Soon he's coming back to welcome me. Far beyond the starry sky, I shall wing my flights to worlds unknown. I shall ring my hymn on high. But the verse gets better. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. Folks, God will supply grace in the time of need. You need to be saved. He can do that. You need to see loved ones touched and saved. I'm going to say he can do that. You need to help, you need help with a problem that nobody really understands. He can do that. Do you need grace in the valley? He can do that. You need healing for sickness and a broken heart. He can do that. Jesus is not some magical genie that we can wish upon a base that he'll act. He's a sovereign Lord. He makes no mistakes. He's never late. And he's a miraculous, powerful, glorious God. And if there's a need, you just need to get to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you personally for Mark chapter 5 as I've enjoyed preaching these three messages out of this chapter spoken to my heart. Increase my faith. And God, I pray, has given me more grace in the time of need. Lord, I thank you for those that's been saved recently. And I thank you, dear God, for those that need to be saved presently. Lord, I thank you, dear God, for those that are carrying a burden that they just can't carry no longer. And I pray that they'll find a place at this altar and symbolically take off a shoe and give it to the Lord and say, God, I can't handle it, but you can. And I'm going to keep it in your hands. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being my Savior and the Christ of every crisis.